Welcome back. This is Pure Lunacy. It's been a heck of a week. So much going on. Affirmative action, uh, student loan forgiveness, religious freedoms. It, it's been a doozy. And a lot of people have a lot of comments to make. But one thing that stuck out to me was AOC. Uh, she was making a comment, I believe, regarding the student loan decision by the Supreme Court, where she believes that the U.S. Supreme Court was legislating from the bench, overstepping their boundaries regarding Biden's wish to forgive student loans. Now, to AOC, what I would say is uh, half of several seats. That's your job. You're in Congress. Congress should pass the laws that would allow a student loan forgiveness. Biden was trying to pay up his dues on one of his presidential promises, but the reality of the matter is he doesn't have that authority in the executive branch, so that's going to be a decision that I definitely agree with. Affirmative action is a little bit trickier, <clears throat> uh, but instead of going into a lot of these decisions, I really want to hone in on that comment regarding the authority of the Supreme Court. You see, the U.S. Supreme Court has a certain authority that was not the original intent of the Founding Fathers. In fact, if you look back, the U.S. Constitution was ratified. It was drafted in 1787, but ratified 1788 by the colonies. Not all, but enough to allow it to go into effect. And this concept that we see today, where the Supreme Court basically reviews different cases and says, yes, this is constitutional, no, this is not constitutional, was not the original intent of what the Supreme Court was to do. In fact, <clears throat> this idea of what is called judicial review did not come into effect until about 1803 under a case called Marbury versus Madison. I won't go into the details of Marbury versus Madison, <clears throat> but I will say this. When it comes to U.S. court systems and our processes, one of the things that contributes to how we run business is something called precedence, meaning if a previous court has looked at a case and it's similar to yours, you're going to look at what they did and see what the precedence is. Um, and this is something that is a factor due to historical common law. And I'm, again, not going to be giving y'all a whole lecture that I would usually give in a political science class. But what I am saying is this. <clears throat> the evolution of what we have seen with judicial review in the United States of America, one, again, is not the original intent of the Founding Fathers. And two, we would never have expected, even in 1803, for the Supreme Court to be making decisions at such a high level regarding social, social issues, really. <clears throat> uh, you see, a lot of these cases in that time would have been decided at the state level. So what we are seeing in the United States is this. Uh, we have a Supreme Court that has an absurd amount of power. I'm just going to call a spade a spade. It is led by some of the most intelligent, well-qualified people who all have different perspectives and opinions on how the U.S. Constitution should be viewed. Now, again, I'm trying not to go into professor mode here, but keep dragging me in there so I can explain a little bit to y'all. There's this idea of originalism and a judicial activism. Uh, originalism is basically the concept that the judges should remain to the intent of the U.S. Constitution and the intent of the Founding Fathers and the law. And judicial activism 
it's it's in the name, you know, it's activist approach of being willing to set new precedents, not necessarily utilize the original intent, but evolve the language to the social setting of the time. We have seen it this uh, this kind of situation before time and time again. In the U.S. Supreme Court, there was the separate but equal uh, case that basically allowed segregation to occur in the United States. And then you come down a few years and you have uh, Brown versus Board of Education that says, nope, you cannot have separate but equal segregation is unconstitutional. So have there been cases that have positively impacted our communities and have allowed our country to move away from a very storied past absolutely but have there been cases that have also taken away uh, the original intent of what that court was meant to do absolutely and that's the complexity that we're facing today we're having a supreme court making decisions um, at this time it's a more conservative court in an originalist manner and for the past few decades we've had a more activist type of court that has made decisions uh, in a more activist manner. So the question becomes, what do people do? And how, how do we react? Well, um, I've had this conversation with a few attorneys, and one of the things I always say is, uh, as much as we debate on what, whether something's constitutional or not, it's not really what we're debating. We're debating the social factors of society at that time and how we can implement it through the original words of the Constitution. That's why you use clauses and you use these different long-worded opinions to really just justify the social setting of the time. So for example, I mean, if we were to put a another Supreme Court case before the Supreme Court, I highly doubt that they're going to be overturning Brown versus Board of Education. Now something controversial like Roe versus Wade, yeah, that the abortion case, that was, that was quickly overturned this year, or the last year. Um, but what I, what I am saying is this, our country at this point has come to the false expectation that the Supreme Court is a court that is always in accordance with each other and is willing to follow a set of procedure with the same perspective, and that's not how the law works. And what we're seeing is a Supreme Court that is more originalist in saying basically, hey, this isn't in our field, this isn't our area, uh, it goes to the state. Or, hey, this is this is a freedom. People are allowed to do what they want to do. And we've come into a society where there have been some interesting arguments that could very likely fall in line with limitations of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and the like. And this Supreme Court has made it clear on its perspective of what it deems to be freedom of speech and freedom of expression. I'm, I'm, I'm dalliancing around the specific topics because I, I don't want to go deep into the wedge issues, but really just highlight how delicate this ecosystem of trust in our Supreme Court is. And now we are starting to see people say, well, they have too much power, or well, we need to pack the court. <clears throat> I'll say this. I'll say this before I you know, close out. When Obama was in power and he was president, the, the US Senate was not um, always in support 
of Obama's judicial nominations. And when that occurred, the Senate had a simple majority, okay? That means they had like 50 plus one majority Democrats. And they said, we're going to change the rules to allow us to approve Obama's uh, judicial nominees. You had to have two thirds, not just simple majority, not just 50 plus one. <clears throat> the Senate has 100 members, for those of you who aren't aware. So they changed the rules. And I remember, I remember clearly people being like, yeah. They stuck it. They stuck it to the Republicans and they're going to get it. They're going to get stuff done because Republicans weren't voting. They were, they were, uh, you know, stalling conversations. And my immediate, my immediate response was, "Mm -mm. if you move the goalpost, you need to remember every four years we have an election and every four years we have a change of seats, a change of the House, a change of the Senate, so on and so forth. That's just how politics in America has been. And I said, if you move the goalpost, it doesn't matter who's next. If there are Republicans that are majority in the House or the Senate, excuse me. And if you have a Republican president, they will move the goalpost up to the Supreme Court, making those decisions with a simple majority. Why am I saying that? Because Democrats under Obama went ahead and changed those rules. And then Trump came along. Nobody expected Trump to win. It was Hill Hills. It was Hillary's to win. Side note, if Biden had run and gotten the nomination instead of Hillary, he would have beaten Trump the first time around and we wouldn't have this whole debacle that we have right now. I really do believe that. Now, I will say this. I was one of the only professors who bet that Trump would win. I did, I called it. Why? Because, well, let me not go into that. Let me let me rewind because y'all get me excited talking about the different things that are considered. Anyways, so Trump comes into office and Trump is able to use the same rules that had been changed. The goalpost had been moved by Democrats. Now Trump says to the Republicans, the Republicans agree, hey, let's move the goalpost for Supreme Court. And they do it. And there's something else that's even bigger. RBG passes away. Side note, let me, let me take a side note here on that. People who continue to stay in these positions, who have been there longer than I've been alive, shame on you. Shame on you. You are not servicing your country. You are degrading the very process of democracy for your power, for your authority, and for your ego. We wouldn't have this mess if RBG had taken her head out of the clouds and focused on the reality that she was aging and eventually her time would come. And her time came under Trump. So what'd they do? Republicans in the Senate used a simple majority and got who they wanted. So, For, for those who have been in Congress, for those who have been in judicial seats, for those who refuse to pass the baton to the next generation, shame on you. Shame on you. And so here we are. 
And side note, uh, I'm not a Trump hater. I'm not a Trump lover. I just, you know, please don't don't take it into disregard. Trump's not really a Republican. We should all know that. He was a Democrat for decades until he decided to run for president. He's a smart businessman who knew how to play the game. Anyways, so here we are, and the drama continues with the U.S. Supreme Court. Because now we have judges that are not necessarily activists, but originalists. Originalists are usually going to take their foot off the pedal in terms of making decisions that uh, impact certain factors and will instead dole out the responsibility to the states. That's, that's what happened with the Roe v. Wade situation. It wasn't an approval of banning abortion. It was saying, hey, this shouldn't be decided at the U.S. Supreme Court level. Every state should decide for its own. <clears throat> Affirmative action, that's, that's a little bit more interesting. I'm definitely going to have to have another conversation with y'all about that. But the reality of the matter is this. We are teetering as a country. I get asked this all the time. What do I think will happen? And I hate to say this, but if we continue going down this path, we won't be here in the next hundred years. We are split down the middle on wedge issues. And the people that are screaming the loudest aren't necessarily the right, in the right. I think it's time for people who are more moderate to stand up and start talking a little louder. And this whole thing with the U.S. Supreme Court and how it's turned out to be, I really think that we should be weary. We should be weary of any next steps that are taken in regards to the Supreme Court and how its authority may evolve or devolve. Because we may be aligning our country for a fall. And I hope, as a lunatic that I am, that that's not the case. Because this is pure lunacy. Thanks, y'all.